0: ComC is excited to announce their latest partnership with CGC Trading Cards and CSG. With over 30 million raw cards available in our marketplace, ComC is ready to provide an effortless grading experience for you to buy, sell, and now grade your Marvel, Sports, Star Wars, and TCG trading cards. ComC is thrilled to offer a smooth and seamless grading experience that is available today for all their customers. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. After having the shop closed two weekends ago, I was back at it this last weekend, and I made a nice little purchase to restock the Junk Wax Era wax shelves. Yes, I bought around 40-something, I think, boxes of sealed wax from 89 through about 93, and there was baseball and basketball but there's a lot of hockey as well and so I am fully stocked with a, a wide variety of junk wax era wax which is nice cuz there's a few customers that come in every weekend and it seems like they pick up two three four boxes of junk wax era stuff every weekend and I've got some some loose packs that were that were picked up over the last couple weeks as well. So the the junk wax era shelves are fully restocked and and ready for my JWE fans to come on in and pick some things up. So that was a lot of fun to go through all those or a few, um, I guess, a few boxes that I haven't had in there before. And so it was neat to get some new stuff in there for for people to come look at. So that was a, a fun day at the shop on Saturday The other thing that was on my mind this week is I was honored to be asked to write a monthly article for Hobby News Daily, and it's going to be a website, and they've got a social media presence that's going to be kind of trying to update everyone on the current events of the hobby, and they're bringing together several people to write articles um, so that there's kind of a steady stream of new articles being published throughout the week. They also have um, some audio and video content that you can find as well. And so HobbyNewsDaily.com as well as Hobby News Daily on Twitter and Instagram are where you can learn more about what they've got going on. But I will be contributing a monthly article and I'm really looking forward to doing that. I also got a Com Mail Day this last week. As you know, I was recently, I put together the 1960 top set and i've been working on the 1961 set and so that was a big chunk of what this mail day was some things that i had been buying over the last month or two finally had them shipped home so i can start the process of putting that set into binders so that i can kind of flip through page by page and enjoy it so i was happy to get that mail day from com c uh, there were a couple other random cards in there. I got some autographs of former U of I fighting Illini players. Uh, people that I just kind of pick up from time to time as I find eye and former eye, I try to pick up some of their cards to have in my PC. And I also landed a few Bobby Hurley cards that I needed as I'm slowly ever so slowly starting to build out a little bit of a Bobby Hurley collection as well. So those are a few of the other things in my Comc mail day. So that's what's been kind of on my mind these last few days. So I thought I would share a little bit. Well, today's guest is Daniel Machado, and his primary focus at Upper Deck deals with the EPAC platform. And I figured since Comc is our sponsor and they play a big role in the Upper Deck EPAC partnership. It'd be good to have somebody on the Upper Deck side to share a little bit more about what that is. I think there's a lot of confusion around the EPAC platform. A lot of people don't even know what it is yet, and so I wanted to have somebody from Upper Deck on. Daniel agreed to join us for a conversation about that, and I am going to play that interview right after you hear from the sports card Shop at MoCo. Hi,
1: this is Pat Hughes, Cubs announcer, coming to you from The Sports Card Shop in beautiful New Buffalo, Michigan. The Goacher family has built an incredible place here for collectors to buy, sell, and trade cards and memorabilia. Be sure to stop by and let them show you around. TheSportsCardShop.com Connecting sports, athletes, the hobby, and collectors
0: around the world. Today, I want to welcome Daniel Machado. He is the Upper Deck Senior Manager of the direct-to-consumer platforms, including the Upper Deck ePAC platform. Throughout his career, he's been involved in a variety of UD licenses from NHL to Marvel to 20th Century Fox. Welcome, Daniel.
1: Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you having me on.
0: No problem. I'm glad we get a chance to connect and, and talk a little bit about what's going on inside Upper Deck over the last seven years or so, you've developed a broad base of industry experiences. And I was curious, as we start the conversation, were you involved in the hobby prior to graduating from college and joining Upper Deck? I
1: was, yeah. So as a kid was definitely a collector started, you know, buying baseball cards to start and eventually as my interest in different sports and different areas expanded, so did the collecting. So Um, Started off buying baseball, eventually moved into hockey and football, a little bit of basketball too. Um, Some of the non-sports like entertainment trading cards and and collectible gaming cards. So that was definitely interested in collecting growing up. Probably shied away from it a bit in high school and college, but it was always, you know, an interest of mine. So when I was graduating, I, I wanted to, you know, get back into collecting and get into the industry. And so you know that was definitely a goal. Leaving college was to get some sort of career going in in the industry and collecting. So it's a no brainer to apply for Upper Deck and uh, took an in- internship about six and a half years ago. And, and here we are now. You know, time's flown, but it's uh, happy I made that choice and it's been an awesome time.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And and a story that we hear a lot from a variety of collectors, right? Is it seems like almost. The, or I should say not a, almost everybody, but the vast majority of us collectors took some kind of break there in our in our high school and college years. And then the bug still had us, though, and we returned to, to the hobby, um, some of us as collectors and content creators, and then some of us in the actual industry working for a manufacturer like yourself. So uh, thanks for sharing a little bit about that. One of the things that I want to make sure we hit on, and it, it fits right into some of your main job responsibilities at Upper Deck, is the EPAC platform. I mean, it's been around since the 2015-2016 season, I believe. That's when I first noticed it as a, as a user of, of Com C. But there may be some collectors out there who aren't very familiar with what the EPAC platform is. I've heard some people talk about it and maybe have some misconceptions about what the EPAC platform is. So can you give us an overview of, of what EPAC is all about? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So uh, EPAC launched back in 2016, I believe in January, uh, like you said, with the release of 1516 UD Series 1 Hockey. Um, and it's a place where collectors can purchase and open packs of upper deck trading cards from anywhere any, at any time. So you, know, you can be anywhere in the globe. And as long as you've got access to either a computer or mobile device and internet, you can Go on, see what packs we've got available, purchase those packs, and then instantly open those to see exactly what you've got in the packs. Um, and then from there, you can manage your entire collect- collection digitally. So I can go through, see everything I got in those packs, sort my collection by player, by, you know, by product, by team, in any way you want to really manipulate that collection, sort it, you can see it there. And um, the really cool part is that EPAC allows you to connect with a bunch of different collectors with different interests across the globe. So, you know, I could open my Series 1 hockey packs and trade some of those cards to collector across the country, across across the globe that's interested in some of the cards that I pulled that, you know, may not fit into my collection or may not be a player or team that I collect. So EPAC, you know, not only makes it really easy to get access to Upper Deck product, uh, but makes it really easy to connect with other collectors and, and make trades um, really fill out your collection and, and build your sets. And the really cool part is that, you know, majority of these cards on the site are physical cards. I know that's a, a common misconception. It's, it's called epacks, so and all these cards have got to be e-cards and digital, right? So other than maybe the base set cards, which are typically digital, usually the inserts and chase cards are all physical. So Um, While I can still manage that in my collection digitally and trade those cards instantly with other collectors, uh, eventually I can have those cards shipped home to me. So, you know, when I've decided I'm done, you know, interacting with a card or something on my collection, I can actually have that card shipped home to me. Our shipping and storage is fulfilled by check out my cards, column C. So it makes it really easy to get those physical cards shipped home. And, you know, you can enjoy both the digital and physical aspects of collecting. So, you know, those are the primary kind of aspects of EPAC that make it really unique. Some other things you can do on there are, you know, earn different achievements. So, there's going to be some cards that you can't pull out of packs on EPAC or in hobby or retail or anything like that. The only way to get these cards is to go on EPAC and complete what we call different achievements. So usually it's you know collect this particular set and you can get this achievement card, which you know opens up some different opportunities for trading and collecting, and then provides some sort of reward or incentive at the end of the day that uh, you know it's an added bonus for completing some of those sets. Uh, and then with a lot of those sets, we also have what we call our combining or stacking parallel achievements. Um, so UD Series Hockey, for example, if you get ten copies of a digital base set card. And you combine those, essentially destroy those, morph those, you get an exclusive parallel card, physical parallel card of that card that you could have shipped home. So definitely seen popularity and interest in those cards grow over the years as more people have become familiar with the program and EPAC itself and have seen you know how beautiful some of these cards can be in hand. I think that gives a pretty good snapshot of what EPAC has to offer in a few minutes. But uh, as you dive into the platform, you can really see like everything that the the site has to offer all the opportunities.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the misconceptions that a lot of people have, right, is based on the name ePAC. They think it's just purely digital, but really it's one of the first combinations that we saw several years ago where it's combining both the digital aspect of opening a product online, but having a physical product to actually take possession of at some point through the fulfillment through Comseat. The other piece with that is if you don't want to have it shipped home, right? You can relist it for sale on c and use their marketplace to to sell the the doubles or the extra products that you may not want to have have shipped home. And so it's kind of built in integration of of integrating both the the EPAC marketplace or the EPAC community to be able to trade amongst fellow collectors on the EPAC platform with an actual secondary marketplace on on c for those cards that you don't want to, to have shipped home. And I, I also like that you called out the the standard base cards aren't typically going to be part of what's available in in many of the EPAC products, but you can consolidate those digital base cards into a physical parallel, you know, in, in the hockey side of things, it's a rainbow foil parallel. Um, I, you know, there's some different things with some of the other products as well. So, yeah, it, it's a pretty cool concept, especially for people who don't live in, a, in an area that has a, a strong LCS presence, it still allows them to open some hobby product uh, from wherever they are, like you said, anywhere around the world. The digital side, I wanted to touch on something else. The digital side, um, or maybe I should say the the pre-transfer side of, of the site has a life of its own. There's the boards, the achievements that you talked on. How does the the development of that community over these last five or six years, how does that compare to what you expected early on when you first launched EPAC?
1: You know, I wasn't around for the first launch. I kind of came in probably six months, a year after it was launched, but it's pretty amazing to see where EPAC is today. Just the, the number of collectors that are on the site, the number of unique collectors on the site, you know, from different areas, different walks of life, like all different ages. I don't think I would have ever expected to see quite what EPAX expanded to, and the same with some of the product offerings. When it started, it was you know hockey, and we had a Marvel masterpieces product on the site, and now you go on and there's the plethora of hockey products available, Marvel products, um, you know, are starting to add more to the the catalog now, um, and then you can see some other unique licenses like AEW's got a great presence now. There's some other you know entertainment and sports licenses, and even non-sports with how big Goodwin Champions and, and Skybox Metal Universe Champions have become. I think it's somewhat surprising, but you know, awesome to see the growth that we've experienced on EPAC over the last few years.
0: Do you have a general feel for how many of the products that are opened on EPAC ultimately get transferred over to ComC C versus how many stay within that EPAC kind of universe or the, the pre-transfer atmosphere?
1: Yeah, I think it would be tough to, to generalize it. It's so different depending on the product. Like some, we see, um, you know, a number of transfers right out the gate to, to, um, where collectors are just trying to move their stuff on column and on the other side of it, you've got products from, you know, some of the initial launches of EPAC where there's still, cards available on the site to be traded for and, and no one's transferred them yet so it's cool to see people hanging on to those um and, and even still trading those for for newer cards as they get added to the site i think that's pretty unique that you you know you still have some of that six almost seven years in
0: maybe to clarify that point even for those cards that have a, a physical card you know created but they haven't been transferred to come yet for fulfillment that physical card has already been created, right? It's still sitting someplace, ready at the at the moment that some future owner decides to have it transferred. It's not like you are going back and printing it w- once that card gets transferred to CompC, Correct? Yeah, exactly.
1: That one, you know, was was shipped and scanned in and and processed when that before that product went live, and uh, it hasn't been touched or moved. It may have been traded, you know, a hundred times between different collectors, but it hasn't changed physical locations. And uh, if you decided to ship it home, you'd be getting the same card that uh, was pulled by somebody six, seven years ago.
0: Like you kind of walked through a, a minute ago, we've seen hockey, we've seen Marvel, we've seen other non-sport and multi-sport cards. And now recently we've seen AEW wrestling cards come on to the site, but not every release has an EPAC release associated with it. How do you decide what products you're going to include on the EPAC platform and which you're going to kind of keep within the traditional distribution channel? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. I think, you know, internally we don't view EPAC as something that's meant to replace the hobby or replace shops. I think we see those coinciding and being complementary to each other. A great point you mentioned earlier is not everybody has access to an LCS or there may not be one for miles. So EPAC is able to fill that gap where if, if EPAC wasn't around, they wouldn't really have a trading card shop to go to or easy access to any Upper Deck product. Um, so that definitely plays a part in de- deciding on what goes on to EPAC and what is left as like a retail or hobby exclusive. I think we've tried to keep shops protected and, and give them certain products like SP Authentic and and the Cup and Hockey at least have have never had an EPAC release, and you know that that keeps them hobby centered. And the only way you can get those is by going to the hobby shop. So definitely have some options like that. And then as far as what goes on to EPAC, it's just a discussion about, you know, what fits the current EPAC collector base, you know, what type of product makes sense for the EPAC collector base and, you know, an internal discussion and debate from there on, on deciding uh, who gets what almost.
0: You mentioned that you don't view EPAC as a replacement for. The hobby shop experience. And is is that why the release dates for products on EPAC are later than they are for the kind of standard initial release? It seems like most products you're going to be able to find them in retail channels or in the hobby shop prior to when they're available on EPAC. Is is that the reason why?
1: That's definitely a part of it. I think, like you mentioned, for most releases, you'll see the epac release date trail. The hobby or retail release by you know at least thirty to sixty days, and and part of that's to give shops and and distributors the opportunity to sell through their their inventory and their product and and get the cards into collectors' hands earlier. Um, another big part of it's just logistics. Once those cards are packed out at the vendor for any particular product, you know they're they're sealing everything up, they're putting the packs and the boxes and the boxes and the cases and shipping those out. They're simultaneously. You know, taking the EPAC portion of the release, packaging that up and shipping it over to C. and at that point, c has got to take inventory of the cards. They've got to scan and image everything in, take inventory of what they got, and then send us all that all that uh, information. And then from there, we have to you know digitally collate the product and and build it out and test it before it can be released. So all of that adds additional time to when we can release a particular product. So uh, I think those two together contribute to why you see, uh, generally see, you know, like around 30 to 60 day minimum delay between the two two releases.
0: That leads me to, or you mentioned something that leads me to another question. How do you decide how much of an overall print run should go with a traditional distribution instead of ePack?
1: That's a great question. I think, you know, generally we don't announce mm-hmm. how much is split between hobby and EPAC or, you know, how that, you uh, that separation is made, but a lot, a lot of it's just demand too. You know, some products we've seen perform better on the hobby side, and and vice versa with EPAC. So um, it's really determined product to product and and license to license. Really, there's no like magic number of this is going to be the EPAC quantity and this is going to be the the hobby or retail quantity, and and it changes depending on the year. Yeah, you can definitely of- tell
0: that there is some adaption and some change from year to year. You know, just looking at the quantities available of, of certain cards and parallels and things like that on COMC, C, right? There's some years where there's hundreds and hundreds or even over a thousand of a, a particular card available. And then other years where that same parallel is maybe only one or two hundred or um, something that might be a hundred. And then that parallel in a future year is only 30 to 50 available. So you can definitely see what appears to be an adjustment of, of how those uh, those products are made available. So appreciate you thinking about that. I figured there had to be some sort of um, science behind it, right? Some sort of analysis about um, how much do we want to make available on each platform. Um, So I appreciate you spending a few minutes talking about that. one of the other things that I often get questions about when I'm kind of talking about EPAC with other collectors is pricing. It seems like oftentimes that initial pricing seems to be at or below the the market rate or it's released on EPAC pretty close to what the MSRP is, but occasionally it develops a little bit of maybe an imbalance. And so over the years, there'll be occasionally some sort of sale or promotion on a different product during a, a portion of the year that will help move some product. Um, but one example that I wanted to ask about was with this most well, I say most recent, but it's been, you know, nine months or so now, um, almost a year. The the 21, uh, 2021 AEW release, it came out, there's such a hype around that product that it came out both in hobby shops as well as EPAC, well above what the MSRP was. And it continues to be that same price on EPAC now, you know, almost a year later, while the, the maybe secondary marketplace and, and kind of a physical presence has come down quite a bit from that. And so how do you think about, or, or maybe how do you evaluate if a promotion is warranted to help to help continue to move a certain product or adjust maybe uh, to the, the current market conditions for a product that is made available on EPAC?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, like you mentioned in the past, when the price would go out on EPAC, it would, it would stay at that price. So regardless of whether the market, you know, grew and the price in hobby went up, or if it went down, EPAC's always kind of had that consistent price. And that's something we've carried on, you know, since mm-hmm. basically since inception, the one area you probably haven't seen quite a while is just different EPAC sales beyond some of the grander coins and other products. Um, and that may be something that as the market develops, and, you know, it changes, you know, especially in the last year, it's kind of hard to to take look at the last two years and really take anything uh, or you know make sense of it but, um, but I think as we move forward you'll probably see um, some some different strategies and and some different uh, approaches to to sales and promotions with some of the existing products as as uh, as some of the market cools down and and um, some of the pricing changes yeah, over it's, time. Yeah, it's
0: one of those things that, you know, like I said, people ask about from time to time, and they wonder kind of what the the logic is or what the philosophy is at Upper Deck when it comes to those the, the pricing of those EPAC products and the adjustment of prices, you know, um, along the way. So I, I appreciate that. Do you guys monitor much uh, the, the secondary market pricing of some of those singles? I've gone deep into the AEW product via purchases from Comc. I think I'm sitting on around 28,000 AEW wrestling cards that I've purchased via Comc that are, you know, that work that came through that EPAC process. You know, some of those that I've purchased for a pretty good chunk of change with some of the limited parallels and then some, you know, you pick up for, for pennies, right? Do you guys monitor kind of the, the secondary market demand for some of those products that are sold via EPAC? I think some of the secondary
1: market, especially on singles is more closely followed by the product Mm -hmm. team just to see, you know, which, which players are in the AWS case, which wrestlers are performing well and which ones collectors are interested in. So they can incorporate that in future products. Uh, Same with the product managers, like determining which inserts should return year over year, you know, maybe a new concept didn't stick. And while it's kind of rare that, the value just wasn't there so it makes more sense to replace that with a different theme or you know kind of adjust from there so if if anyone in the upper deck was probably paying more attention to those secondary market values would be uh be the product team taking a look at that for for future content trying to improve the product and that's probably
0: not unique to epac right they're monitoring that both on traditional channels on ebay and hobby shops and Card shows and things like that, as well as as what's available on EPAC, is that is that accurate? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, they're they're always busy watching the breaks and and keeping up with um, you know just overall feedback towards the products. I mean, like like I talked about being a collector, these guys have been collectors for for years and years, so they're not only invested in, in the industry but invested uh, specifically in their own products. You know, they love to see. See those perform well and and succeed, so they uh, they keep an eye on everything like that, uh, just to to make it as nice. as good as they can.
0: I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about one of the the more recent additions to your direct to consumer lineup, and that's Collect Forever, and it recently rolled out on the EPAC platform or has a has a direct connection to the EPAC platform. Tell me a little bit about what Collect Forever is. Absolutely.
1: So uh, Collect Forever is a direct-to-consumer platform that's a single sign-on with epac so if you've got an epac account you automatically have access to collect forever Um, and that's the site where epac's more focused on trading cards and maybe uda memorabilia some some collectible coins on collect forever you can pre-order comics there and uh, we've also got funko pops and there'll be some other you know some other types of collectibles hitting that site eventually but um, anything that you purchase on collect forever, you can, if it's a physical item, like one of our Michael Jordan Funkos, you can have that shipped directly to you. Like a traditional kind of e-commerce site, uh, just direct ship or the unique aspect of it is you can purchase that Funko and have it transferred over to EPAC and, uh, you know, have it vaulted, have it stored. They come slab, which is pretty amazing. It protects the Funko, keeps it in pristine condition and, and uncirculated. And then on the EPAC side, you can trade it for cards. You can trade it for memorabilia. It really opens up the avenues of, of how you can interact with those collectibles. So that's a really cool aspect of it. And then with the comic books, you can pre-order those as if you were going to pre-order them from basically any other online shop. So almost all your Marvel titles, almost all your DC titles month to month, those will pop up on collect forever. You can pre-order them on the site and then they transfer over to your EPAC collection. And then once the physical comics come in, we soft slab those. So we actually, you know, kind of like a hard slab when you get something graded. This is more, you know, something probably closer to a card saver type feel. It's not quite hard like a top loader, but it's not as soft and flimsy as a uh, a penny sleeve if we're thinking about it in trading card terms. It comes with that. It comes with the unique tag that identifies that comic, uh, pretty similar to what you see with grading with the title and the, the fun facts and all the information. And then uh, that comic physical physicals now in your EPAC collection where you can trade it with other collectors, you can ship it home, or you can just leave it in your collection, just opening up a lot of different avenues for collectors to not only get trading cards on EPAC, but pick up comic books and other collectibles on Collect Forever. And then they all kind of merge and uh, can be interacted with on the same ecosystem. So that's you know the big facet of it. Uh, you can also, depending on which title it is, which comic book you're purchasing, there's chances at random variant covers as well. So in trading card terms, you can kind of think of that as like looking for the hits, um, you know, yep. the ratioed cards. So if there shows up that there's a variant somewhere, you know, maybe it's a one in, one in 11 or one in 25 odds, you have the potential to pull one of those rare variant comics uh, paying the same price you would for the base comic and you know having that swap in so uh, that's pretty cool it gives people an opportunity to pick up some rare comic variants that you can only get as a dealer incentive you may have to purchase you know directly from a shop or find it on a secondary market but on collect forever you can actually pull one of those as your hit rather than one of the the base versions so a
0: lot of, the of parallels there between buying it online and then having that option to either have those physically shipped to you or having them kind of merge into the EPAC ecosystem to to trade amongst all of the other EPAC products. Is there any digital-only components with that, or is that one of the differences that all of the Collect Forever items or the products on Collect Forever are all physical?
1: Yeah, Collect Forever is uh, yeah. strictly physical. So even if it shows up like physical pending because it's a digital pre-order comic, it, you're buying it before it's, Actually printed and shipped. Uh, eventually, it's going to become a physical item that you can, you know, ship home to yourself, or you can trade amongst the Who other collectors. Who does the storage the and
0: fulfillment for the Collect Forever products?
1: Oh, uh, that's done by another partner we have okay. out in Pennsylvania.
0: So that's not also at Comsi or anything like that. It's a, it's a separate partner that does the Collect Forever fulfillment and storage.
1: Yeah, yeah, those items are all uh, handled and accounted for separately. That's why there's no transfer to option okay. C option. With Very those. cool.
0: What else do you want us to know about EPAC and the other direct to consumer products that are available at Upper Deck?
1: That's a great question. I think just, you know, take a look at EPAC, get a feel for it. I think if you've got any questions, reach out. But I think the biggest thing is just if you're not already on the site, you know, take a look at it, you know, read more information about it and, and, and get, get, uh, get acclimated with it, especially with the physical component. I think that's what holds a lot of people back from from signing up for the site or really digging into it is the the unfamiliarity of of working with a site that's digital but it's got the physical connection that's been a little difficult to to grasp at times, especially with everything going on in the NFT digital collectible space as of late. So, you know, that's that's a big aspect and then Just as we look forward, you know, there's tons of different products. They're going to be hitting EPAC, a lot of unique products uh, on the hockey side, on the entertainment side, Um, just a lot to look forward to. So if you are an EPAC, that's, you know, it's an exciting time. We're going to have a lot of great products coming on that you've, some that you've seen before that are repeat year over year and some new products that'll be really exciting. You know, we're always working to make it a better site too. So trying to include new functionality based on customer feedback, you know, we always reviewing that and reading that and determining what we can do uh, best to to make the site a better place, whether that's incorporating new functionality that we didn't have before, um, making improvements to existing functionality, um, you know, or taking ideas and concepts that some of our collectors have that make it easier to collect and finding a way to get that on the site. So um, definitely appreciate everyone that's been on the site for, you know, since the beginning and new collectors as well. It's, always exciting to see them hop on. But um, I think you've got a lot to look forward here in the next year as we continue to, to grow the platform, uh, grow, collect forever and add, you know, hosts of new products and new types of products. One thing that I don't
0: think we've actually mentioned the whole time is where do you actually go to find these EPAC cards and the Collect Forever cards? I don't think we actually ever mentioned the, the website itself. So <laughs> let people know where they can go to learn more and, and find all, all of these EPAC and Collect Forever items that we've talked about.
1: Yeah, you can go to www.upperdeckepack.com. Um, you can read around on that site and then sign up. And once you've signed up, you've also got access to Collect Forever. Really easy to uh, switch behind or switch between the two sites Up on the left-hand side, just click on Collect Forever. Click on EPAC, and you can browse around. Open your free pack. Uh, you know, really awesome part of epacks. every day you get a, a free pack of cards, and you can choose from some of our different hockey offerings and uh, some other non-sport offerings like Goodwin Champions. Get those free digital cards added to your collection. Uh, start engaging on the site, and then um, you know, check out some of the other products.
0: Well, Daniel, I really appreciate you spending a few minutes today talking about Upper Deck and talking about the the EPAC and other direct-to-consumer items. So thanks again, Daniel.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me again.
0: Well, thanks to Daniel for coming on and spending a few minutes talking about EPAC and his role at Upper Deck. You may have noticed in the second half of the interview, some of the timing of the questions and answers got a bit wonky. I've been testing a new platform to record our conversations and the file that it gives me to download apparently from time to time has some glitches when it's combining our two separate audio tracks so there's a few situations there where it sounded like I was interrupting Daniel as he was trying to finish his answers and then there was one question that I actually had to reinsert my question because the way that it it downloaded from uh, Riverside was a little bit wonky so So I thought I'd let you in on a little bit of the the behind-the-scenes editing issues that we have to deal with as podcasters from time to time. So that's what was going on there in the second half of the interview. Well, that is all I have for you today. I want to encourage you to come back next week where I am going to share some of my thoughts and observations from the announcements that were made at the Tops industry conference a few weeks ago. You know, I wanted to, to give a little bit of time for those ideas to marinate a little bit. I wanted to think about them before I responded, but next week I'm going to share a little bit about what my takeaways were from those announcements that were made at the Tops industry conference a few weeks ago. I'll catch you next time.